this morning we're continuing this series called Who is God? And we come to a, a part in the, in the story of God that, that quite honestly, um, when I say the word, it, it, most people misunderstand what I mean in the 21st century. You see, what we're going to talk about today is that God is generous. And when I say God is generous, most people automatically say, oh, great, the pastor's going to talk about money. No, not today. There will be a day, but not today, all right? And, and, and what I want to talk to you about is the generosity of God. And in order to do that, there, there's a, a story that if you've been to church, you've probably heard. And maybe, maybe you've heard it even if you haven't gone to church. But it's a story that when we tell it or when we read it from the Gospels, it, quite honestly, we miss the meaning of it because we, we only catch the first part of the story. The story begins with a, a, a question. It's a, it's a really important question. It's, it's the story of, a, of a, a man who the Gospels refer to him as a rich young ruler, or one of them actually calls him a rich young lawyer. And, and the young man comes to Jesus, and Jesus is, has got a crowd around him, his disciples, some other folks around. There are little children in the mix. And, and, and when this man comes to Jesus, he comes with a sense of pride. He comes with a sense of uh, importance, uh, a sense that, you know what, I, I need to get my question answered. And, and so when he, when he comes to Jesus, he, he asks he asked a question that, quite honestly, a lot of people ask the same question, even 2,000 years later. See, here's the question he asked. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 19. He, he says this. He says, good teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, isn't that, the, isn't that a great question, isn't it? All right. Jesus, you're this, uh, this carpenter turned rabbi. People are coming around. You're talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. So, hey, here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to know, what do I have to do? What good deed do I need to do in order to have eternal life? Now, Jesus looks at him, and some of you know the story, right? Jesus looks at him and says, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, keep the commandments, okay? Now, wait a minute. This guy is important. He's self-important. He's educated. He's a ruler. He's in the Jewish heritage. He's a part of the people of God. He, in his mind, he already knows the Ten Commandments. In fact, he says to Jesus, hey, I not only know those Ten Commandments, but I have kept them since I was a little child. And so I, I just, you know, it, isn't there something more? I mean, isn't there something more than, than, than what I've already done? I mean, this doesn't feel like it's fulfilling my need and making this connection. And, and so Jesus looks at him, and, and this is the greatest thing in the world. Because Jesus does to him the same thing he does to all of us. You see, what, what Jesus does is Jesus takes a what question. What must I do? What good deed must I do? And he answers it with a who answer. See, the, the what question doesn't get you the right answer. It's only the who question. Now, I'm not trying to be Dr. Seuss, okay, with, with the what and the who and the, all of that. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. The truth is that eternal life is not based on the answer to a what question. 
Eternal life is based on a relationship that grows out of the answer to the who question. So if you know the story, and some of you do, I'm seeing your heads nod here on campus, but those of you online as well, you might know the story. And the story is really powerful because here's what Jesus does. Jesus looks at him and says, I'll tell you what, you want to know what you need to do? I'm going to give you this who answer. Sell everything you've got, leave behind everything you think is important, and come follow me. Now, we know the story, right? Some of us do. The young man stands there for a minute. He's kind of dumbstruck. I mean, after all, he's walked up to Jesus and said, hey, show me, tell me what I need to do. And Jesus basically says, get rid of everything you've ever known. Get rid of everything. Sell it all. Leave it behind. Family, friends, prestige, importance. Leave it behind and follow me. And the young man when faced with that opportunity, <laughs> goes away, Matthew tells us, and the other gospel writers tells, tell us, he goes away sorrowful, despondent. Now, it's at that moment when he, when he goes away that uh, Jesus kind of mutters something under his breath. He, he says, you know, it's harder for a for a rich person to get into heaven than it is for the, a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And the disciples hear him. And, and this, this story is incomplete until we hear the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples and then the parable that Jesus tells to explain it all. See, we want to stop when the rich young ruler walks away. We want to stop when Jesus makes this, this statement about about wealth and about people and and what happens is we miss the whole point of the story because what happens when Jesus kind of mutters that under his breath is that the disciples look at him and go well hey wait a minute if that's true Jesus then who in the world can get into heaven because in their world in their understanding to be blessed with physical gifts, to be, to be a person of prestige and power, to check off the list for the good deeds, to do the things that you needed to do. Those were markers of God's blessing. And in their world, that should have been the easiest person to get in to heaven. And Jesus has just flipped the script. And he said, no, that's the hardest person who can get into heaven. The person who has so much that they have to give up in order to enter into a relationship with me. And, and these guys are just blown away. And Jesus says this very important thing you've got to know. It's the key to the, being able to answer the who question. What Jesus says is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter, I love it when Peter, Peter, Peter steps in and he says, hey, look, well, what about us? If that's the truth, hey, Jesus, come on, man. James and John, they left their father's fishing business. Matthew over here, Matthew left his tax collector booth. I mean, come on, we've left everything for you. What's going to be in it for us? I mean, he's right there back again in the, in the what question. Only this time it's what's in it for us. And, and Jesus, Jesus answers him and tells him some pretty important stuff 
about the fact that when you leave everything, when you leave the what question and enter into the who relationship, that relationship lasts forever and, and you can trust God. And then he says this amazing statement. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. And obviously, that seems like the end of the discussion, but it's not. You see, you have to keep reading. Just, just because your Bible has a chapter notation or a verse notation, that's no reason to stop the story because the story doesn't stop there. Jesus then looks at Peter and the others who are now just dumbfounded by everything that's just happened. And he, and he says something amazing to them. He begins to tell them a parable. I want to read it for you. It, it'll be on the screens this parable, it, it, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, the master did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing in the marketplace. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last people worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now, this parable is a part of Jesus' explanation to the disciples about why the what question will never really answer eternal life. Because this parable also ends in a few verses with the statement, the last will be first, first will be last. And Jesus is trying to help his disciples come to an understanding of who God really is, what the value system of the kingdom is really about. And unfortunately, the disciples weren't the last people to struggle with it. In fact, in fact, I would tell you that many of us in the 21st century are still dealing with this question. Uh, psychologist and author Henry Cloud sums it up this way. The message of most Christian churches when you walk into them on a Sunday morning is really simple. Those churches give across a message that says this, God is good, you are bad, try harder. God is good, you are bad, 
try harder. That's the message that the rich young ruler had in his, in his mindset. That's the message that the disciples had in their mindset. How do we do something good to atone for the bad we've done? If God is good and we're bad, how do we try harder? And what Jesus says is, listen to me. Trying harder doesn't work. See, God, God doesn't reward you because you try harder. God doesn't even reward you because you, because you work smarter. Joachim Jeremias, a German theologian, a New Testament scholar, uncovered a, a rabbinic parable identical to this parable that Jesus told from the first century with one exception. The, the exception was that, that when this parable was told by the rabbis, what, what they would say is that those people hired last, the, the ones who were paid the same as the people who had been there all day long, is that the reason they were paid the same as the people who had been there all day long was because in two hours they did as much work as the other people did in 12. Which brings us right back to try harder. God is good. You're bad. Try harder. But what Jesus is trying to say in this parable, what Jesus is trying to say to the rich young ruler, what Jesus is trying to say to Peter and the other disciples, what Jesus is trying to say to you and me is that God is generous. God is good. God is trustworthy. And God is generous. And the answer is not, what else do I need to do? The answer is, who do I need to connect with? And the answer is, you need to connect with Jesus. Because he knows who God really is, and he's trying to show you and show me. Because you see, this generosity that comes from a God who is by nature generous doesn't come because you try harder. In fact, it's even deeper than that. You see, the God of Jesus is generous because of his character, his DNA, his essence. Not because you are valuable or you give more effort. Some of you are listening to me say that. And you're like, okay, pastor, I, I've heard this before. I've, I've heard that, you know, his grace is, is all sufficient. His grace is abundant. His grace knows no boundaries. I, okay, I get that. The legalism thing, I don't get. But now, pastor, wait a minute. I thought Jesus loved me because I am made in his image. No. You are made in his image because he loves you. There's a difference you see, what he's, what he's saying, what Jesus is saying through this parable and to the disciples and the rich young ruler and to us is that God is generous not because of anything on our side of the ledger. Not because of our value. Not because of our effort. Not because of our goodness. No, John, John, one of the other disciples, put it this way in a little letter that he wrote that's in your New Testament. When he said, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus first loved us and died for us. That's how much God loves you. That's why Jesus would say to Nicodemus in the darkness of the night when Nicodemus came to him by cover of night, hey, 
God loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son. So if anybody believes in him, you, you know the John three sixteen. You know that was around before there was an NFL game for them to put it on a placard for, right? See what, what, what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, what, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that God is generous because of his character, because of his essence. God is love, and love is generous. And so church, we've got to flip the script. We can no longer be the place where we tell people, God is good, you are bad, try harder. It doesn't work. Some of us have been trying harder for so long, and we keep wondering, when does it get better? And what Jesus is telling us is it gets better when we understand the nature, the essence, the character of God. And the character of God is that he loves you. And his grace is sufficient for you. And that sufficient grace, that forgiveness of sin, that strength to endure the trial, that wisdom in the midst of the confusion, that healing coming out of a pandemic, all of that comes not because of your effort and not because you are loved. It comes because God is generous. And it comes out of his nature, his essence. And everything you do, everything I do, everything the world does has to be a response to that goodness. That's that passage Heather was reading earlier from, from 1 Thessalonians in the message. Did you hear it? That God isn't concerned about your holiness and your wholeness. You don't have it within you. I don't have it within me. No human being has it within themselves by their effort or their self-perception of value or even their perception of God's value of them, to be holy. The only way we have wholeness and holiness is to be in a relationship with the one holy and whole person. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. See, the God of Jesus is generous because that's his nature. That's his character. And he's generous because he relates to us. He invites us into a relationship from a place of abundance rather than scarcity. See, most of us live with scarcity. We, we, we live feeling like we just don't have enough, and if we've got more, we need to keep it. We, we, we've confused the term steward with hoarder. So we, we think, well, if God gave it to me, I've got I've to take care of it. I've got to hold it in tight. I've, I've, I've got to make sure I steward it. No, no, listen. If God gave it to you to use, don't you remember the parable Jesus told about the men who were given, the servants who were given different levels of gifts, talents? One was given five, one given two, one given one. Do you remember how the guy with five doubled it? The guy with two doubled it? The person with one hoarded it and came back to the master and said, hey, master, I knew that you were a hard person, 
I knew that you were always the person who, who, who takes accounting of things. And I didn't want to mess up. And so, so here it is. I tried harder. Do you remember what the parable ends with? Jesus says, take the one talent from the person who buried it and give it to the person who has doubled it and then cast that unfaithful servant out of my sight. Whoa. Scarcity never works. But abundance. See, abundance. Abundance is in the nature of a generous God. God, God's mercy never runs out because, because you can never use it all up. It's his nature. It's his essence. I mean, look at the way Jesus puts it in this parable when he, he says to them, hey, friend. And by the way, I, I need you to hear this. There are sarcastic statements in Scripture. This is one of them. You need to know. It's, I mean, I, I, cynicism sinful. Sarcasm drips from the pen of the Apostle Paul and occasionally from, from Matthew here. Because what, what Jesus, when he says friend, he's talking to the guy who's decided to challenge what's going on. So when the, the Lord of the harvest or the master of the house says to the guy who says, hey, wait a minute, we bore the heat of the day. We worked all 12 hours. You're paying us the same you paid this. And, and, and he looks and says, friend, that is not a, that's, not a, that's not a good term. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Which, by the way, was the normal day's wages. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker just like I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? See, what, what Jesus is saying to the people listening, to the disciples, to the crowd, if he could have said it to the rich young ruler, he would have said it to him, but he walked away, is look, our heavenly Father is generous. Our Heavenly Father is not going to value you based on what you do or, or what you look like. Because you see these workers, what, what's inherent in this story is, a, is a, a stratus of people. See, those who were chosen first in the morning, they were the ones who looked like they could get the most work done in the day. Th those who were still in the, in the city market waiting for a chance to work. See, in, in the culture in that time, uh, harvest happened in one of two ways. Either the landowner kept people on their payroll all year long so that when, when harvest came, they would use those workers and they had other jobs for them throughout the year. Or the most economical way was for the landowner to go and find the people who were homeless, the people who were unemployed, the people who needed, who needed work and to go in and hire them temporarily just for the harvest. And so when he went to the city market where these people would gather and he saw in the morning, okay, I need you and you and you because I've got this much harvest and I need you to, to come and work for me. It was normally, you know, it was kind of like pickup basketball. You take the tallest person first. I have no issues, honestly, I promise. I was a 5'5 point guard in high school. 
I could not stand people over six feet tall who showed up at the playground. But can I tell you something? In this story, the master keeps going back and keeps going back and keeps going back. So the people who were hired first, their self-image was, hey, we're, we're, we're it. We're the best because we got hired first. But what this landowner does is this landowner rewards everybody, not because of their work, like the rabbi's parable, but because of who the landowner is. Did you hear it when I read it? Look at it again. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Friend, how many times have we in the Christian church with our message of God is good, you are bad, try harder, robbed God of his generosity? His ability to say to us, I love you regardless. I forgive you regardless. I don't forgive you because of what you've done. I don't forgive you because of who you know. I forgive you because that's who I am. I love you. See, God works out of a sense of having more than enough love to go around. Years ago, a friend of mine was talking to me about an experience he had with his three-year-old son. His three-year-old son loved McDonald's, so he takes him to McDonald's for a father-dad, you know, kind of father-son kind of deal. And they get down at McDonald's and uh, orders his kid his favorite Happy Meal. Now, my friend was kind of on one of those, you know, reduced-carb diets and, you know, kind of watching his, his blood pressure and the salt and all that kind of stuff. And so he was like, you know what, I'm not going to order me any fries. I'm just going to get me, you know, something else. But as the food came out, and they're sitting at the table, he and his son, having lunch, Father Sunday, those fries, I mean, they're McDonald's fries, right? I mean, I'm not sure what it is they put in them, but they, they make you just want to eat them all right. And he said, I just couldn't pass it up. I, I reached up and I took one French fry, one French fry from my son's Happy Meal. And my son grabbed my hand and said, that's my French fry. <laughs> and my friend said, I, I sat there for a minute and said, I paid for that Happy Meal. Does this kid not understand I'm the source of his happiness in his Happy Meal? Does he not get it? If I want to buy, I got enough money. In fact, he said, I was this close, Carrie, to just going up to the countertop and buying like 10 orders of fries and coming back and just dumping them on the plate in front of my kid. I didn't need his French fry. And he wanted to act like it was his. Now we all laugh at something like that. But how many times have we looked up at God and said, now God, don't take that. Now, now God, why did you give that to them and not to me? See, the essence of God is generosity because the essence of God is love. And so that generosity comes out of a sense of God's abundance, not his scarcity. And I, I've already kind of 
giving you the spoiler alert because the way Jesus finishes this parable is with the same thing he said to the disciples when he said the last will be first and the first will be last. He said that because the God of Jesus, the God of Jesus is generous because he delights in us. My friend said, I, I, I really didn't buy the french fries and dump them on my kid, even though I thought about it. Instead, I, I let my child have the french fry back, and I took delight in watching my son enjoy his fries, knowing that without me, he didn't have any happy meal. Because I love my kid, and I want to give him everything I can give him. My friend, God is a generous God who wants to provide in your life not all the money you wish for, not all the prestige you wish for, not all those things. He already told us, the rich young rulers, it's harder for that guy to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But what is impossible with humans is possible with God. So here's what I think when I read this parable in its context. I think the generous God is a God who wants to flip the script again. So that maybe, just maybe, those of us on campus, those of us online, those of us watching later on this week on demand could, could be a part of a revolution. Something that would change the perspective of the world about who God is. Because you see, the reason Jesus chose a parable about a vineyard is because to Hebrew people in the first century, the vineyard was a metaphor for Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the metaphors for the people of Israel was the vineyard. And so Jesus tells this parable to say to them, hey, look, in the kingdom of heaven, in the people of God, the first will be last, and the last will be first, because everybody is loved. So this morning, could you? Consider making a, a, a choice to flip the script so that Henry, Henry Cloud's statement no longer rings true about you and about the church. And, and here's the way I'd like to ask you to consider flipping it. Instead of saying, God is good, you are bad, try harder. What if we said, God is good. God is good. He delights in us. Let's trust him with everything. Maybe you want to personalize it even more. God is good. He delights in me. In spite of my failures, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my sin, he delights, 
He loves me. So I will trust him.